Welcome to Relentless Truth with John Warren, the podcast that extracts truth from a wide range of topics, revealing who God is, who we are, and how we relate to each other. Now, here's John with this week's powerful and practical insights. Welcome to Relentless Truth. I'm John Warren. It's good to be with you again. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also go to our website, johnwarrenmedia.com, for more information about our work, including our work at our sponsor, CFS Financial. There's a tab for that. That company does consulting with nonprofits all over the country, utilizing my banking experience and that of some friends. We do everything from debt negotiation to financing uh, new projects as consultants and consulting on things like strategic planning and governance and the like, all things financial. So uh, please go there. Don't hesitate to contact me at john at johnwarrenmedia.com or you can just use the contact form on the website, they go to the same place and I answer all the emails and I have appreciated your support and contact and encouragement, especially in recent days. I have been overwhelmed with teaching opportunities and that's a, that's a wonderful thing. I am certainly not complaining. Well, today I want to, I want to kind of link together you know, we've been periodically in recent weeks talking about the attributes of God, really trying to answer the question, who is God well? And that that is a challenging study, um, a one that personally ch- challenges me. Uh, I'll, I'll say it that way. I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity, but um, it, it certainly challenges me. You know, it's interesting. The um, the word grace uh, is uh, charis, the Greek word charis. It's, it's used 131 times, I think it is, some form of that word in Scripture. And the word mercy, elios, is used 170 times, I think it is. So the, the two are used over 300 times in some way or another. We've talked before on this podcast about love, God's love, agape, loving God, loving us without reciprocity. The, we said the highest form of love is loving the unlovely. God's love relies on no merit whatsoever within us. Well, these attributes of God, and we're going we're gonna to talk about some more uh, in an upcoming episode, we're going to talk about his power. In fact, that's going to be next week, the power of God. And, and then we'll, we'll do some economic updates along the way. The world got crazy this week because Hamas attacked Israel. I know these these episodes are a few weeks delayed in coming to you, and this will be old news by then. But there, there's a lot going on, a lot to talk about, a lot for us to, to uh, think about. Um, our Speaker of the House was uh, removed from office, Kevin McCarthy removed from office, and at this point... Here we are in almost mid-October. 
there's been no replacement named. I think there's a vote or something coming up. I, I don't know. It sound, seems like a circus to me. There's even talk of putting McCarthy back in office and Matt Gates is leveraging all the power he can muster. It's kind of a mess. But in any case, today, I want to focus on something much more pleasant. That is the essence of God, his grace and, and mercy and love for us. His His essence, it, it sounds complicated because, you know, we talked about this word anthropomorphism or anthropomorphic, meaning uh, ascribing human attributes to 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 something that's not human. In this case, to God, and and so we we talk about these these attributes like they're like they're individual attributes, and we even think sometimes that they came from outside of God, uh, like like in the case of humans, we. We uh, we learn things. We we acquire skills. We uh, you can make a nature nurture argument for some of these things, but but we we were we were given a DNA by our parents. And you might see good and bad habits or tendencies um, in yourself um, from from your your parents or or other family members or people you spend a lot of time with. You know you'll hear you'll hear kind of the parenting argument that you know you you are a combination of the the people you spend most of your time with and you can so you can you can acquire these attributes through the environment certainly schooling and neighbors and and friends and uh, churches and youth groups and all those things contribute to 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 who we are uh, the the attributes that we have and we we're accustomed to acquiring attributes outside of ourselves god is just not like that God did not acquire any attributes outside of himself. He's he 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 is his essence. He has been of this essence from all eternity past. If you picture a timeline that goes back as far as you can see to past the Genesis 1-1 account of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and in he said, Let there be whatever and there was the whatever out of nothing but even before that there was an eternity past and and the godhead the trinity uh, father son and holy spirit existed in it in eternity past that they were not they were not created um they have always been and always will be difficult for us to get our our heads around but these attributes also it's important the distinction to make is they didn't come from outside of god unlike us so if you if you have a particular skill set let's say you're comfortable doing public speaking or you're a good athlete who has a a fine motor skill sport you play and you've 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 kind of honed in on you you know you probably have some coaches you have you have competition you have you have equipment, training aids, and all the rest, or or you might have practiced the the thing, whatever the thing is, whether it's public speaking or or playing a sport or or uh, uh, doing a certain kind of surgery or or making an argument if you're an attorney or or, or you might have you might have done uh, a, a lot of study and research that made you a good engineer or or you might have learned uh, a, a complex systems in math or you might have learned. Uh, 
uh, computer science. So you might have you you might uh, be good at all of those things. The point is, those attributes came from outside of you. God's attributes do not come from outside of him because if you think about it logically and scripture is very logical i know some people struggle with that but it is incredibly logical if you think about it the attributes of god if they came from outside of him then there would be something higher than him that led to his being the way that he is i hope that makes sense so he's of one essence we, we talked before about divine simplicity. That doesn't mean what it sounds like it means. It means of one substance, simple in that respect. All of his attributes work beautifully together, and they're all a part of each other. We talk about them as if they're separate, and I'm going to do that today. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort of contradict myself. I, I say he's of one essence, but to talk about these attributes, we have to, we, we have to bifurcate grace and mercy which i don't like doing or or grace and love or mercy and love so so today we're just going to talk about this we're going to talk about who god is and and it and it's not that complicated we're going to try to make it very simple but just for for further study there are two you know there there are always multiple texts for for all real powerful biblical truth and, and I know you can get lost in that, and that can feel complicated. But just take a look, if you would, at Romans 5 and Ephesians 2. And, and when you read them, think about God's love, grace, and mercy. Now, there's a, there's a counterintuitive thing that goes on here. There are words in those two chapters. I'm just going to say it out loud. There are words that look like to us humans that, that just don't go together. <laughs> and... and I'm going to tell you what I mean by that. There's, well, to start with, there, there's there's suffering and faith, or trespasses and grace, and and, and others, and, and you'll you'll see that. You know, if we have time, at the end of this episode, I will quickly cruise through at least Romans five and maybe Ephesians two for our mutual edification, but. But for further study, be sure to do that. Here, here it is, though. Grace, God's grace, in the person of Jesus Christ, is necessary and is consistent with his righteousness. A friend of mine, Clay Taylor, said at a service at our church, he's an elder there, and he said a few months ago now, I guess it's been, uh, he, he said that the gospel is incredibly logical. And he's so right. It, 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 you, we can prove, uh, you know, from Romans 3, among other scriptures, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is necessary and is consistent with his righteousness. So we, we know that God, God's wrath illuminates his other attributes. When we see his other attributes in the context of his wrath, well, today we're going to see that, that our, our, our sin and, and suffering illuminate God's grace and mercy and love and other attributes. So, so we talked about agape before, loving without reciprocity, and there, there's, a, there's a section in, in Romans 5 that you'll see if you, if you study that chapter a little bit that, that talks about loving that, that while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. That that it's one thing to love a a righteous man, but it's another to love the unlovely is really what Paul is saying there. And that is the highest love, loving the unlovely. God's love relies on no merit whatsoever within us. A lot of us grow up thinking, I've got to be a good boy or girl because I've got to merit God's love. And that feels really humble, but it's actually arrogant, isn't it? It, it, the sin of self-reliance, this this moralism, it's it's what Paul battled the Judaizers over in Corinth and Galatia in particular and elsewhere. But Paul battled them because they thought they could be good enough. They thought they had to be. I mean, there was a there was a sense that that on the surface it looked like a humble life they lived, but it wasn't humble at all. It was self-reliant, self-sufficient. Even if we feel defeated by our inability to do so. Just the mere notion of living a life that meets God's standard is indicative of a low view of God and a high view of man. So this word we encounter in scripture, I've mentioned before, charis, for grace, is really, that's the Greek word, the English pronunciation of the Greek word. It's really a a notion of spontaneous, self-determined kindness. You've heard it said before, it's God's riches at Christ's expense, or it's it's God's unmerited favor. Those are all helpful little things to think about, but but really it's it's a it's 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 from God. It's it's a, an act of his will uh, to to be kind, to to be loving, to extend his love to us. And you see, I'm already doing it. I'm mixing attributes here, which is what we have to do. Now, there there's really quite the distinction made by some uh, in God's grace and mercy. And, and we'll talk about mercy independently in a minute, but it, which again violates the, the whole, the whole, you know, I'm guilty of the anthropomorphism um, that I mentioned earlier, but, but we'll talk about God's mercy, but it, you'll hear people say, Oh no, 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 that's God's grace. No, that's God's mercy. God's mercy is withholding punishment and his grace is his kindness, his goodness to us. That's unmerited. Well, well, those are, those are true statements, but I'm just going to suggest to you that that we don't need to spend a lot of time separating these these attributes of God, these beautiful attributes of God. And I'm going to tell you why. If we if we really look at Scripture, and we'll look at a few passages, we're going to have to abbreviate this today. But but again, Romans five and Ephesians two are very helpful here. You'll see that God's grace is merciful and loving. And his mercy is gracious and loving. And I think we'll, we'll prove that today as we, as we walk through this. So our problem, though, in the church, in this world, uh, even in our churches, is that we, we really don't believe in grace. We, we don't see God clearly and we don't see his grace clearly. We often use the word grace but we're actually thinking of something less than God's grace when we do so. And, and a, a huge problem here is, I believe, that the reason for this, and, and, and others agree with this, lots of theologians understand this, the reason for this is, is that we have a weak view of sin. I, I said that clumsily, but it's a... It's a it, it, we minimize our sin. We, so, 
So we, we minimize God's holiness and righteousness, his, his being apart from us, set apart, transcendence. And, and we also, we have a high view of ourselves. Therefore, you know, I'll, I'll just say it this way. We kind of think that, you know, our, our sin just, just isn't that bad. And, you know, it's, it's, it, it's, it's not good, but we're, but we're good at heart. And, and we'll talk more about that in a few minutes. So, again, his grace is merciful and his mercy is gracious. We don't need to divide these, uh, these attributes. And we, we really should see them as one in his essence, along with all of his other attributes, his immutability, his love, and so on. And, and, and even his wrath. So we talked about Paul fighting the Judaizers and, and, you know, we, we can see this really clearly in, in first Corinthians 15 and that there's another chapter you could just read, but verse 10, it says, but by the grace of God, there it is. I am what I am. And in his grace and, and I'm sorry, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me, whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, th- this can be confusing because you'll hear Bible teachers, biblical teachers, biblical scholars, theologians teaching that grace and works don't go together. Well, it's interesting. They, they, Paul, Paul is saying that the grace of God is not worked for but it is manifested in our works. Do you notice? I worked harder, he says in this passage in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10. I worked harder than any of them. We, we try to separate faith and reason, grace and works, but that, that really is extra biblical. Paul, in, in this sense, Paul is making it clear that the grace of, the grace of God that is with me, he says in verse 10, resulted in me working harder than any of them is the quote so we don't work for grace but god's grace produces works in us no, notice how clearly paul sees himself in in verse 9 the one preceding the section i just read says for i am the least of the apostles unworthy to be called an apostle because i persecuted the church of god do you notice how clearly paul sees himself he does not seem to have, at this point in his life at least, the same self-reliant blindness that we tend to have. That's interesting to me how clearly he sees himself. There's a dictionary called Vine's Expository Dictionary, and it's not perfect, but it does a pretty good job of translating the meaning of Greek words. It defines this word charis or grace as goodwill, loving kindness, favor, that which affords joy. So Paul describes a grace, if you noticed in that first Corinthians passage, that is active in his life. He does this again in Galatians 2.21. Here's what he says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. He's describing grace here. Just think about this truth. When we become moralists or, or those who think they can earn God's approval or favor, we are actually discounting the atonement, the finished work of Jesus Christ. 
Paul's being aggressive here in these two passages in 1 Corinthians and Galatians because he was opposing the Judaizers, talking to the Judaizers. But but our problem is that grace means little or nothing to many in the church today. This is really due to a misbelief about the basic relationship between a person, a human, the, the creature, and God, the the divine creator. We answer the questions, who is God, who is man, and how does God relate to man? Rather poorly, don't we? Which is why we focus on this in most of our episodes of Relentless Truth. This misbelief is really in the minds and hearts of people. When we read about Paul's struggle that I just mentioned with the Judaizers, we think of this as a battle in antiquity, don't we? But it is, in fact, a battle that is ongoing today. The struggle for humans is that we don't see ourselves and our sin clearly. We see ourselves as being pretty self-sufficient. And we kind of see a caricature of God, something much less, much, much different than the God of Scripture, the God that we're studying in this series on His attributes. Well, again, remember the juxtaposition. We have to we have to see our sin clearly to properly value God's grace. J.I. Packer in his book talks about, in his book, Knowing God, talks about four truths about God's grace. The first one is really a powerful one, and they are all four powerful. I'm just going to just tell you about them quickly and, and kind of just discuss them in my words. The, the moral ill desert, he says, of man's accomplishments, material wealth, and just flawed thinking have led to a falsely high view of man. We tend to treat small virtues as compensating for large vices. We kind of average it all out, don't we? I go, you know what? That I'm not that bad. I'm, and we, we love to find people who are worse than us. We, we think God just kind of grades morality, uh, ultimate rep morality on a curve. And, and we're, we're just not doing that bad. We, we, even, we even do this. And I, I, I don't want to offend you. And, and there, there are mental disorders that require medication and therapy. And I understand that. But, but we tend to treat a bad conscience, a seared conscience, as a disorder a mental disorder requiring medication and therapy, a, a sign of disease rather than moral reality. We, we tend to think of ourselves, at, at least at heart, as really good people. And, and we, we imagine God as a magnified image of ourselves. Remember that word, anthropomorphism. And we assume that he shares our, 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 our attributes and our, our, even our sense of complacency. Remember when we discussed God's wrath, the thought of of ourselves as creatures fallen from God's image, these rebels against God, guilty and unclean in God's sight, fit for his condemnation, really never enters our mind. In fact, we're told to just have positive thoughts and follow our hearts. Well, I, I didn't always grasp this, but my banking career afforded me the opportunity to perpetually study human nature. It was kind of cool. Most days, I learned several things about the impact of human success. This is this is really interesting, even even if I'm introspective and and look at my own life. 
But even modest, uh, modest business success sometimes causes the owner, the, the entrepreneur to believe they can replicate their success they've enjoyed in one location in another. You've probably noticed this, that it doesn't always work because distance management or, or, or whatever that you want to call that requires an additional skill set. You know, you, you, the owner can only be one place at a time and they have to learn how to, how to replicate their success if they're going to have multiple locations. Success can do something else to us. It can, it can make us believe, and I've, I've fallen victim to this, that, that economic conditions won't ever change. This is called a recency bias, usually. And, and it's the sense that whatever the current conditions are, are going to automatically continue. So this success and a good economy are just going to automatically continue forever. I think a lot of people get caught up in that even today. And others are sort of sleeping with one eye open, worried that we're going to have a downturn. But the, but the saddest cases of this were those who enjoyed some financial success and then lost their way by becoming fixated on material things as a source of happiness. And th this is a, this is a, a, a broad disc. when you, when you talk about happiness and what that means, that's too, too broad for our, our discussion today. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll tackle happiness in a future episode, but these these people who who relied on material things, material success for happiness, were often the most miserable because they they can't get to enough. And, and you might be falling into this trap, and I'm certainly not mocking you. I'm sympathetic. It's it's enough income, enough assets, enough toys, enough material success. Have you met that person? I'm sure you have. Who just they've enjoyed tremendous success and they want more they're looking where else can i go to get to happiness you might have heard of the ethical system called utilitarianism the utilitarian believes in the the maximum happiness for the maximum number of people this this happiness based ethical model sounds really good to us doesn't it after all we we claim to be a nation that values life liberty and the pursuit of happiness well the problem with this theory is that it's amoral. It's without morality. It's based solely on fleeting pleasure or, or hedonism. This, this is how we embrace dangerous policies, da dangerous, make dangerous decisions. I, I think of abortion and eugenics, but there are many others. If, if the majority believes it, that, that it'll accomplish societal happiness, then let's take the action without regard for right and wrong. We seem to do this a lot now in our society. This is the, the thinking that allows student debt forgiveness and other policies that seem to make people happy without regard for their morality, whether or not they're sinful, evil. We no longer think in terms of biblical truth. I, I'm just amazed at this student forgiveness, uh, debt forgiveness thing. It, it's President Biden was bragging about it recently. We're adding six trillion dollars to our national debt each year now that's the pace we're on so maximizing the happiness of man without considering morality god's god's righteous moral code the way god made the world is a terrifying way to live but the point here is is really that a a collective of sinners is a mess well the second truth about god's grace that packer talks about is the retributive 
justice of God. Apart from God's grace and love, we get what we deserve for our sin. Retributive justice is simply punishing offenders of the law. God's justice or righteousness requires this. We've seen this in Romans 3. It says in verse 19, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. This is clearly the the stated purpose of the law, to make us aware of our sin. It's our school teacher. It shows us God's character, the juxtaposition between our sin and his character. Then we see that grace is employed in this familiar passage near the end of, of, of Romans 3. I'll just read, although read that entire thing. It's uh, verses uh, 21 through 26, but I'll read just this last verse. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God is both gracious and just. Those things go together. Verse 25, the verse before the one I read, talks about delaying punishment or holding back so that he might be the justifier. It's really saying so that he might righteously deploy his grace. Isn't that beautiful? Well, we, on the other hand, and and I, I know I'm beating this drum pretty harshly today, but we turned a blind eye to wrongdoing as long as we can safely and feasibly do so. We tolerate and even excuse sin in others because we we feel that, you know, but for certain circumstances, we would behave as others do in immoral ways. Parents hesitate to discipline children. Teachers are hesitant to enforce standards with students. Our, our society punishes those who even espouse the existence of absolute truth or even just objective truth, for that matter. We, 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 we know terms now like ghosting or canceling, firing those who believe in objective truth. These things are commonplace. Well, God's grace doesn't compromise his righteousness. It doesn't get dispensed at the risk of or without complete regard for his righteousness. We, on the other hand, often think of human grace as a willingness to tolerate evil. Our current societal views on sexuality and gender are emblematic of our, our collective view of of, of man, of, of sin. But to appreciate God's grace, to value it clearly, we, we have to understand our sinful condition. You might remember, if you've, if you've been with uh, Relentless Truth, been with me on this podcast, listening to episodes for, for the almost two and a half years now, you, you might remember a guest I had on, Russell Berger. I also had his wife, Catherine, on. But uh, Catherine has a connective tissue disease that... And she just struggles. I hope you follow them on social media. They're on Facebook. Uh, Burger is spelled B-E-R-G-E-R. Russell was the the number two guy on on CrossFit, and and I, I believe it was about a year. Um, he tells the story well on my episode. Uh, but but about a year after um, his wife was diagnosed with this awful terminal illness, and, and boy is she battling and 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 doing well and. Uh, listen, listen to that interview as well on on another uh, episode of Relentless Truth, but but Russell was uh, fired from his job. He 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 sent two tweets. 
that's that's his his offense really and i this is this is me speaking it's not him telling the story obviously but he he sent two tweets soon after so his family's dealing with all kinds of things and 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 he took a stand for truth uh the the subject was a, a pride workout thing at one of the crossfit gyms or um, one of the franchises i think and 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 he took a stand and and, and the, the the tweets are really gentle i'm not gonna take the time to read them here but but they 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 were gentle and biblical and godly and not harsh and not not condemning and they but they weren't inclusive enough they weren't woke enough and and so the the uh, company fired him he was in the number 2 position at crossfit and he was fired but but even there god's grace was and is sufficient Rus- russell is now in ministry and has a national platform he's he and Catherine were featured in the American Gospel film. If you haven't seen those, I would, I would commend them to you. They're they're not perfect those films, but but they're awfully good. Uh, there's a there's a streaming service called AGTV that is really good for teaching biblical truth. In in my opinion, well, this this past week, um, you, you you may have heard of the the Andy Andy Stanley uh, uh, controversy. Andy has condemned the rest of the church so to speak for not being inclusive he, he he did a sermon on drawing circles is the best way to say it and talked about how jesus would be inclusive of the lbgtq community and al moeller and joe dallas who's also been on my podcast and others have have condemned him harshly saying he's he's leave, he's leaving he's left the true uh, uh christian faith and Stanley said that Mueller's version of biblical Christianity is why people are leaving Christianity unnecessarily. And Andy Stanley is double talking and, and he, he, he just is. And, and I, I know some of you probably uh, like him. I, I think he's dangerous because he's leaving scripture behind. It sounds good. Sounds inclusive, sounds warm and fuzzy. And it is double talking on this subject. Not calling sin, sin is, is harmful. It is hurtful. I have friends who, whose children have have been affirmed by adults as as gay and transgender, and I, I mean people I I actually know well, many of them, several of them, and and uh, uh, when we we are inconsistent with with holding true to scripture, we they 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 find that hurtful as they as they should. Lots of ministry leaders around the country, I know from my experience with Exodus International, they too find it hurtful when a pastor isn't consistent with uh, Scripture. So, uh, shame on Andy Stanley. We should we should pray for him and for his ministry, and that he will have a change of heart. But back to our point today, we 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 think God feels as we do, and. And retributive justice or, or simply punishing offenders and God just don't go together to us. The fact that God's holy character requires retributive justice seems absurd to people who project their impulses to God. Well, Scripture teaches that retribution is required in the world of God's goodness and morality that he has made. We, you, you see, you know the story in Genesis 18 of Sodom. And, and yet we see God's grace in the context of his justice at Sodom. It, this familiar text starting in verse 22 of Genesis 18. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood before the Lord and 
Then Abraham drew near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. And, and if you remember, he keeps going. And, and the Lord said, if I find 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. We know how this story ends, don't we? We see God's grace and his justice together here. In fact, we see his omniscience, omnipotence, love, wrath, grace, mercy, and all of his other attributes in this particular story. Well, let's go back to Packer's truths on, on grace. The third truth that I want to mention is the, the spiritual impotence of man. There, there's some business training that is, is designed to achieve success by boxing in the other party, the, the potential client, so they don't feel like they can decently say no. You might have gotten somebody on the phone like this before, had a salesperson somewhere corny and, and try to make it hard for you to say no. Well, I participated in this sort of thinking through some of, not all of, thankfully, my 28 years in banking. In fact, I trained young bankers at one point on how to use some of this ideology, and I'm ashamed of that. Well, we embrace this ideology in the church. We live as if we can repair our own relationship with God by kind of putting him in a position wherein he cannot say no any longer. Ancient pagans did this through gifts and sacrifices to false gods. You know those stories. Modern pagans do this by churchmanship and moralism, the notion that we can be good enough or do enough of the right things to meet the standards of this low view of God. Remember what we read in Romans 3.20, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Could this be any clearer? No one will be declared righteous by observing the law. Regaining favor with God that was lost by our sin is beyond our power. Period. Well, the fourth truth about God's grace is the, the sovereign freedom of God. We live as if God is obligated to love us. I know that can be jolting to hear, but he's not. The God of the Bible does not depend on the creation for his well-being. Just take a look at Psalm 50, verses, oh, I don't know, 8 through 15. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. We see this same truth. It's even clearer in Acts 17, verse 24 and 25. Verses 24 and 25. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He has, God that is, has no unmet needs, but he gives. He gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. That is grace and mercy. We are sin, sinful sinners, and God is not bound to show us favor. Our only claim we can count on from God in this respect is justice and consistency with his character. No one seeks after God. We read that in Romans 3. A while back in our study of Romans, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. 
no one seeks after God. Again, I would refer you to Ephesians 2 and Romans 5. It's just beautiful. Ephesians 2, 8. I'll just read that one. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is God's grace. It is demonstrated, communicated in the person of Jesus Christ. We see it in Romans 8. We see it in Romans 3. Again, Romans 5, Ephesians 2. 1 Peter 1 is another good chapter to read in this regard. So we see God's suffering. Uh, we see suffering and, 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 and turmoil as a backdrop caused by our sin. And it just shines a beautiful light on God's grace. God's mercy, similarly, is, is great, is abundant, is tender. We see this in all sorts of scripture, particularly the Psalm, Psalm 86, 5. For you, O Lord, are, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Romans 5, 20, where sin abounded, grace abounded more. Luke, Luke 1 because of the tender mercy of our God. I wish we had hours to develop this. This format makes such a powerful lesson challenging, but God's attributes and essence are inseparable. We, we see clearly that, that God's foreknowledge and even his grace and mercy work together. We see this with his wrath, with his love, grace, mercy, immutability, and so on. We're slowly proving the claims we, we, we sort of made in the first week of our study when we talked about God's essence. God is of one essence. The Godhead is united and eternal, and God's attributes did not originate outside of him. He is of one substance eternally. So, believer, be encouraged. I hope this study is encouraging. We will talk about God's, God's power next week, and uh, we'll come back and Wow, we got to we got to spend some time on on world events in an upcoming episode too. So um, we'll 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 look at that as well. This this ever changing economy fascinates me, and please don't hesitate to uh, send along an email to John at johnwarrenmedia.com. I I really enjoy hearing from you and uh, want to pray with you and for you. If um, I've raised questions or or said something clumsily, I'd I'd love to hear from you. Um, I, I don't really want to have a debate with you over email, but if clarity is needed, I am happy to provide it. Um, these are important truths. God's grace, mercy, and love are beautiful and work in harmony, uh, are, are, are part of his essence. They're, they are one in a, in a sense. Uh, our language fails us. Uh, when we describe these beautiful attributes. So please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. Come back again next time for a discussion of God's power. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Relentless Truth with John Warren. Please consider sharing this podcast and subscribe to receive future episodes. Connect with John regarding your comments, questions, and show ideas 
through johnwarrenmedia.com or at John Warren Media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. That's all for this episode. Join us next week for another edition of Relentless Truth with John Warren. Thank you.